Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Episode 5 of Why Are People Into That? I'm your host, Tina Horn, and boy, have I been jet-setting it this April. I spent the first week of the month in Toronto, my fifth time attending the Feminist Porn Awards. I organized and moderated not one, but two panels on sex worker rights for the Feminist Porn Conference, which went swimmingly thanks to the amazingness of my cohort, and I had tons of fun seeing all of my favorite sluts. This week, speaking of sluts, I'm off to the Bay Area, where, as many of you know, I resided for 10 years, for the International Miss Leather Contest, where I'm teaching spanking, dirty talk, and more sex worker self-care workshops. I've also been recording podcasts like a maniac, and I wish I could just unleash them all on you, but we're all gonna have to be patient. For episode 5, I had the frankly genius idea to interview my friend Zill Goldstein, who is an actual nurse practitioner, about the sexy phenomenon of naughty nurses. I wanted to know, how did nurses get to be such popular sexy archetypes, and how does a medical professional like Zill feel about something like medical play? Zill and I also talked quite a bit about gender and pronouns, and actually burst into a spontaneous mock medical roleplay, which has never actually happened on this podcast before, so you know you don't want to miss that. In addition to using her powers for ordinary old medicine, Zill is also an advocate for the health of sex workers, trans people, and queers, the clinical director of the Persist Health Project, and one of the authors of the upcoming Trans Bodies, Trans Selves book. She is, in other words, a complete badass, and I tempted her with a giant New York cheese pizza to give us her unique insight into why are people into naughty nurses. Right, the magic is happening. Um, I'm Tina Horn, and I am so happy to be on my couch with the fabulous, the one, the only, the very qualified Zill Goldstein. Hi. Not Goldstein. No, Goldstein, as we just reviewed, <laughs> I'm very much a Jew. Well, it takes one to know one. Cheers. Cheers. Um, and... I'm so happy that Zill is on my couch, uh, as she often is. 
Um, I have more clothing on than usual. That is true, but this is a podcast, so I don't even have to make you sign a release if you wanted to take your clothes off. Oh my goodness, I'm completely naked, and I'm going to stop right there before I go on. Why say you're naked when you're not naked, though? Where's the fun in that? Bragging rights about being on a couch naked with Tina Horn. Well, you could have claimed that a long time before now, but... Cheers. 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 <laughs> in any case, um, why don't... I don't want to be too presumptuous about what to reveal about your, your qualifications for our subject of today's podcast, which is why are people into naughty nurses? <gasps> I feel like every time we say naughty nurse, we have to go... <gasps> Exactly. It's like on Nickelodeon when they would release the slime onto you when you... Totally, and everyone would be shocked every time. Every time, yeah. Um, it's funny that we're talking about naughty nurses and naughty nurses are a thing because there's a study that was done in, like, 2009 that I don't actually have a full citation for that um, ranked nurses as one of the top five most trusted professions, possibly even the most trusted profession, which is part of what I find so amusing about like, the naughty nurse ethos. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just jumping right into it without introducing myself. Don't be sorry. Wait, we'll we'll go back to you later, but let's just roll with that. Okay, so, great. So the thing that I'm hearing from that that's really interesting is trust. So why why do you think that trust would be, would hold some sort of erotic allure or kinky allure for people? Sure, I mean... It's well, it's it's an inversion of power, right? Like the person who you're supposed to be able to trust, who's supposed to like be the motherly substitute when you are old, sick, and infirm, is somehow taking advantage of you. Or young, like. or young, sick, and or young, infirm. sick, and infirm. But the person who is supposed to be our caretaker when we are at our most vulnerable or when we are vulnerable yeah is somehow perverted and taking advantage of us and that power over us and it's a specific kind of vulnerability too because of course when you are ill or when you require some kind of caretaking for whatever reason you're obviously emotionally vulnerable in some ways but i feel like there's a very strong physical component to your vulnerability where you're literally naked or you're literally actually wearing, you know, a, a clothing that is very humiliating because it's not really clothing, but not in a fun way. Um, so I wonder if that is part of why so much of medical play in general, and I, and I think uh, nurse uh, fetish uh, stuff in particular, uh, is... Is is so has so much so much of a fetish component, right? There's so much of a physical component to it. There are lots of things you can buy. Like the thing that I'm excited about talking about today is that I feel like a lot of the stuff that we talk about on this sh this show is um abstract and conceptual and esoteric because that's where my leanings are. But the naughty nurse thing actually is very grounded in a lot of physical oh, yeah. components. It's all about like the right outfit and the right enema bag. <laughs> Yes, it is all about the right enema bag. Okay, we'll get back to enemas, but let's talk about you. Sure. Now that we took that little detour and talking about trust and physicality and 
all those different things that we might unpack later. Um, let's talk about you. What is your relationship to the idea of a, of a naughty nurse? Well, I am, in fact, a nurse. Ah! And I rarely <laughs> behave myself. <laughs> no, I'm sure you behave yourself while you're on the clock. I do, I do Except much. when you're sending dirty text messages to people, which is a rumor well, I've heard about you. I'm not on the clock right now, so but I can I, send all the dirty text messages I want. That's true, that's true. Okay, so you're not so so you're you're naughty off the clock, and you're a nurse on, on the, the clock. clock. I am a family nurse practitioner. Uh, I do many things. One of them is that I am the clinical director at the Persist Health Project, um, radical, which is a free and low cost health services organization for people who are involved in the sex trade. You can find us at www.persisthealthproject.org. But bam, I love that. By shameless. The way. We could, oh, please be shameless about Persist. It's one of the most amazing organizations that I know of. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, should we do a pronoun check-in? Oh, yeah. Let's do a pronoun check-in. Tina um, Horn, what are your preferred pronouns? Um, you know, uh, her is, her is fine. She is fine. Are there any others that you like to use? You know, I, like... I'm I'm one of those guys that is like sure you can use whatever but um but I'm 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 a lady I'm a lady and I prefer she I guess I I guess I do prefer she and her although when people he me I'm like oh Oh, it's so titillating. I also have recently, it comes up for me again and again. This is a total digression, but that's fine because it's my fucking podcast. Um, I find it, I, I do have a tendency to to use uh, slang that refers to myself as a guy. Like, I just did it, right? Like, I'm the kind of guy, you know, I'm a nice guy. And I I think of that as, as sort of a gender neutral term like oh uh, the, those those guys were just hanging out i'm just hanging out with the guys you know but uh it confuses people the people have gotten upset and confused and actually questioned what like what my gender was based on me calling myself a nice guy and i find that i find that really interesting i mean i feel like particularly in like queer sex positive land people are super attuned to that sort of thing um these are not folks like that, though. It's actually mostly, like, straight folks who I talk to sometimes, wow. <laughs> you know, to get things. No, in all seriousness, I love you, straight people. Um, but, uh, you, you know, it, it tends to actually be sort of more like normies who are confused or upset by me calling myself a guy. I mean, you look pretty queer, and so, which I mean is a compliment. Of course. Um, and so I think that, you know, it's easy for people to be like, oh, I have to pay attention to the things mm. when they're around you. Like, when people read me as trans, they're, like, super sensitive, and they're like, oh, I mean, I don't know, and stuff. And I'm like, I, it's, this is much, a much bigger deal for you than it is for me. But I feel like part of that is that people are like, I'm going to listen in really carefully because you look different from me and I'm going to try and read your gender really hard. And so when people get thrown off, I don't know, it's like I go to work every day um, and I wear a pencil skirt and... I love that you do that, by the way. Thank you. You're not the only one. <laughs> um, Doubtlessly. 
I feel like if I ever, like, if I wear pants or something, there's just so much more, I don't know, like, I want to give people as many of the, like, right signals as possible because I don't really, like, I don't know, I go back and forth on caring how much I pass, but I definitely want people to use the proper pronouns for me, which are... Which, by the way, what are your PGPs, (laughs) my love? (laughs) My actual preferred pronoun is wombat. And wombats, but most people have a hard time with that, understandably, so I tend to use she and her. Well, so ha- use that in a sentence. She and her? No! <laughs> Wombat! Um, so, Zill and Tina were hanging out on Tina's couch, and Zill was talking about Wombat's professional experience running Persist. I love that. That is great. I have to say, can we talk about political correctness? Because I I feel like I can I I love that, and I love the sort of absurdity of that. Even though, not to say that your preferred pronoun is absurd. Oh no, it's absurd. It's absurd. But um, I've known a few people in my time who have sort of turned the idea of PGPs into a joke it in or it uh, sort of like exposed the absurdity inherent in taking it too seriously in in a way that is like what you're describing and I feel like it makes some people really tense and upset because we've worked we work so hard to try to persuade people that they should even ask and then I don't know. I think... Right, well, and then you go around a room, and there's all of these people who are not trans, or not genderqueer, or not trans or gender non-conforming in any way, and... Oh, I should... Well, there's another project that I'm involved in that I'll talk about later. Yes. Um, but, so, everybody goes around a room, and, like, all of the people who aren't trans or gender non-conforming are like, this is my preferred pronoun, slash, what's a preferred pronoun? Um, and then there's, like, a couple, like, trans or gender non-conforming people there who are like, oh, I'm, like, one of maybe three people tops in this big meeting that's, like, using something as a pronoun that is not what lines up with the gender that I was assigned at birth. And so I'm pretty much calling myself out in front of this room of people who haven't had to, like, have a critical relationship with their own gender. Um, or who just sometimes you have a critical relationship with your own gender and you end up cis at the end of that truth i would uh, i would say that for myself not to be like i'm oppressed too but i definitely i also know I'll, you know i know a lot of cis people who think critically about their own gender and at the end of not the end of all that thinking critically but at a certain point it's like and after thinking critically about this for quite some time my conclusion is that i'm cis actually i mean and that's fine um i mean i'm you know that's that's your choice and i respect your lifestyle i was born this way (laughs) (laughs) um but I also, I don't know, I I tend to experience people, for you, you for example, I experience your gender as queer, 
I'm not like trying to map some sort of gender queerness or trans experience onto your life, but I feel like it's map away. It's easy to tell when somebody has had that sort of process around yeah. what they're doing in the world, and I tend to read those people as have like being more queerly gendered. Um, for better or worse, like, I don't know, sometimes I feel like I relate to you as, like, a sex-positive, kink-positive bro. Um, that's a, that's totally my, my gender identity, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I'm, like, I'm, like, fine to, like, sit around and bro down with you, Tina Horn. <laughs> um, which, man, I have my own complicated relationship to broness, having tried really hard to be a bro when I was growing up, and then been like, this is stupid. But... Uh, the point But being... going back to, uh, I, so I, I hijacked so your trans narrative around. as cis people are always oh doing. <sighs> um, so you're going around in a room with a bunch of people and there's maybe one other person there and like, I don't know, I've started to transition 10 years ago and so I've had a lot of time to sort of like do navel gazing around this and... You know, for a while, I, like, wasn't on hormones, but I was, like, female-identified, and I was, like, sort of trying to go for this, like, genderqueer androgynous thing, and I would be like, my preferred pronouns are she and her, but I actually prefer wombat, and it was sort of to be like, oh, we're gonna stop this thing that mm. has just become, like, sort of routine in the circles where it happens, and it's supposed to make people, like, stop and think and be like why are we doing this? Why is this important? And, like, what are we calling out in this space? Um, and, you know, at Persist, we have started to not do pronoun check-ins and in, like, our group meetings. Yeah. Um, and we'll instead do them sort of more privately mm. over email or one-on-one -on -one to be like, it's not actually, it doesn't actually create a safe space, but we just, it's sort of the best alternative in a lot of situations given that we don't have a good way to talk about sort of non-binary gendered or uh, trans and gender non-conforming people. Um, the point, the answer to your question, though, is that I like it because, one, it's like, oh, wait, gender is kind of funny and is not this, like, heavy thing and we're going to stop staring at all of the trans people in the room. Mm. Um, and I'm going to, like, take that attention that is being given to me and be like, I am going to throw it back at you people who know that I'm trans or have read me as trans and are expecting like some sort of emotional bond with me where you can pat yourself on the back for creating a safe space for me to tell you that I'm trans. Word. So that's part of why I like to say that I prefer to use wombat and wombats as pronouns. And you have a really cute wombat tattoo. I do. I'm going to hold it up to the microphone right now so everyone at home can... Everybody have a nice long look at that wombat. Mmm... That sills gender. And it feels so good. <laughs> anyway, um, people trust me with their health care. Go figure. Cheers. So, tell me... what? Uh, okay, at the risk of, of turning this into a... Um, like a profile of, of you, which w would also be fine. Um, why, did you, why did you get into nursing? Um, you know, people used to tell me that and ask me that when I was in nursing school and was not out as trans in nursing school, and people would be like, 
you know, the undercurrent of that at the time would be like, you're a boy, why right. do you want to be a nurse? You should be a doctor. Right. And or I'd the president like, or an astronaut. Right. right, but why do you want to do this, like, effeminate thing? And I would just look at them and I'd be like, oh, mostly for the outfits. Cute. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, it was a number of reasons. I wanted to do what I'm doing now where I can help people get access to healthcare in a way that doesn't make them feel like shit. Am I allowed to say shit on your podcast? You are definitely allowed to say shit. Well, shit. Uh, so I want to provide, you know, sex positive, uh, kink positive, trans affirming healthcare. Um, I want to provide sex worker positive healthcare. And it seemed like that was the most expedient way to make it happen and I also didn't want to go to med school where they teach people to break other people down into the smallest possible unit mm. and think of them on that level before they think of them as people. What is the difference between forgive my ignorance, what is the difference between med school and becoming a nurse? Sure, so um, doctors graduate from a, a bachelor's program from college and then go into med school and maybe do some things in between. Um, and they go through some years of med school and then they go through some years of residency and then they start practicing as uh, doctors. And sort of the model for nurse practitioners is that, you know, the nursing degree has happened in various ways. There have been like diplomas and associate's degrees and bachelor's degrees, all of which have prepared people to be registered nurses. The idea is that you work as a nurse for a while, um, you get some experience. This is part, also part of what appealed to me about being a nurse, is that I wasn't ready, you know, I wasn't ready to commit to how I wanted to live in my body, I wasn't ready to commit to what mm -hmm. sort of career I wanted. Um, the that's also very personal is the living in my body i don't mean to cast aspersions on people who live day to day in queerly gendered bodies uh but um i wanted to work in healthcare before i went and got a degree that would sort of lock me into a specific path doing healthcare so i worked as a nurse as a registered nurse for a while um I got a, a bachelor's degree to be a registered nurse, um, in addition to a bachelor's degree in sociology. And then I went back and I got a master's degree to become a nurse practitioner, and uh, that is when I was able to start doing primary care and ordering labs and prescribing medication and all of that. Cool. So, you're a badass. That's what they tell me. Um, I'm telling you. You're a badass. That's what Tina I'm the, Warren tells and me. And I'm the host. Um, let's go back to outfits. Right? So you were saying that you would tell people that you got into it for the outfits. And so tell me, tell me about the outfits. Well, the first day of nursing school, my teacher called me out in front of the whole class as I was, like, having that panicked moment of, like, she was reading roll call and I was like am I gonna correct her on my name? Am I not gonna correct her on my name? She like told this story she got to me, I was the first person who she felt was a boy who she read the name off of and she was like well so in whatever the 1900s they would give nurses caps when they graduate what would you do 
when you got your nursing cap. And I looked at her and I was like, well, I would take that cap (laughs) and I would put it on my head. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I think it's funny that I was like sassy about it being outfits, but there's also this like tradition of the like nursing outfit being associated with like power and whatever expertise is allowed nurses and also but yeah yes definitely power and expertise and also femininity right right um so the outfits are totally hot can you describe them i mean the classic nurse outfit is like you know a white sort of thing that's kind of lab coaty that goes down to like I don't know. It depends on what kind of movie you're watching. Right. <laughs> um, it can stop anywhere between, like, just above the end of the butt, just below the end of the butt, mid-calf, knee length, floor length. You know, historically, they started out as sort of, like, floor length gowns, and people would wear a nursing cap and sort of a white high-waisted belt. Um, and through the years, the sort of outfits have gotten shorter and shorter, and now nurses wear scrubs. Um but you know the the outfit that i always envisioned that is there are multiple versions of it hanging in my closet right now um the white buttons up the front with a little red cross on the side mm-hmm. and of course the nursing cap uh that goes down to about mid thigh um and is made of sort of a like flimsy fabric that has been bleached a million times and you know is white because in carrying out the course of the, the heroic duty of nurses, it, you're going to get blood stains on it, and you just need to be able to take it home and put it in the wash with the bleach, so you don't have to think about cleaning it before you make dinner for your husband. Don't you also think that it symbolizes purity? Oh, definitely. And, like, that's part of the appeal of, like, the eroticization of nurses, is that it's, like, this sort of pure, uncorruptible caregiver. Why do we need our caregivers to be pure? So they don't give us enemas. But they ha- but they do! <laughs> <laughs> so we know that if they're giving us enemas, they're not enjoying it. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. So then they become this starched white canvas for us to project our naughty thoughts onto, but they cleanse us somehow. Right, they cleanse us of our naughty thoughts by taking them on Mm. to the pure white canvas. Oh my god. And then going home and bleaching it before making dinner for their husband. Right. Okay, let me ask you this. So I've been a sex worker for a long time, so some people, sometimes people say to me, Oh, you're a sex worker, so you must be really bored by sex, right? You must, like, get home and, like, not want to have sex. Now, sometimes that is true. However, the, that assum- the, the, the root of that assumption is obnoxious to me. Like, if you... I'm sure that some people who, like, work in an ice cream parlor and are, like, making people ice cream cones all day and, like, cleaning, you know the ice cream machine and the freezer and all of that stuff, they don't, they don't necessarily think, 
I really need a treat right now. You know what I need is some ice cream. But sometimes they probably do because it's fucking ice cream, right? Right. So my question for you is, do you do you find that there are things that you are that you see or are familiar with or think about as a result of your job all day and then when you go home I guess I'm asking like do you like to do medical play off the clock is what I'm getting at (laughs) I mean I was being coy before but no I don't do medical play off the clock um do you fantasize about it like are you interested in it at all um I have a little bit of a mental block yeah about it because I'm like it's work right um you're like fuck ice cream I'm not, like, fuck ice cream. I'm, like, if I started to eat ice cream every night at home, I would probably get to the shop and be like, all of this ice cream is mine to eat. Mmm. Let's take a step back and really talk about sort of the the image of the naughty nurse in, uh, in popular culture and in sex culture. So a few things that come to mind for me, uh... It, you know, as inappropriate as it may be to talk about a children's cartoon, I was completely obsessed with Animaniacs um, when I was a kid. And there's the, the whole, there's the character of the Hello Nurse and the, like, ju- you know, the sort of, like, childlike-ish characters, like, uh, eroticizing the sexy nurse, who, of course, is, like, a buxom blonde. I mean, she's a fucking cartoon. She's, like, a Jessica Rabbit type, right? She's, like blonde, like, you know, va-va-voom hourglass figure with the outfit that you were describing, like, clearly, like, very, like, low-cut on top, you know, low... Or right, high, she also, high... Wasn't she also wearing, like, a garter belt and, like, white thigh highs and white heels? Oh my god, I think you are definitely remembering that, but I don't think that... This was... This is a show for, like... 11 year old. She was maybe wearing like thigh highs. That's the other part. She I only I only talked about the like frock part of the naughty nurse outfit. I feel like there's so many variations where there's like a garter belt, a white garter belt with white thigh highs and white heels, but there's so often white heels which are like the least like would you want to spend <laughs> a 12 hour shift where you're running around a hospital floor in six-inch stilettos. Like, I, that sounds like hell to me. That sounds like working in a dungeon to me, but... After a 12-hour shift, running back and forth... Girl! Alright, I've never worked in a dungeon. <laughs> you clearly work hard. Well, okay. But let, let's talk about the, the garter belts and, and the thigh highs and the heels. So, uh, yes part of that is the fantasy image of the nurse, but I'm sure that if we actually really interrogated the history of nurse outfits, we would find, particularly in the 50s, in the 60s, they probably actually were wearing heels. They probably actually were wearing all of this very feminine ornamental stuff, and I think that that feeds into the idea of the, the nurse it being just as important that the nurse is uh, ornamental is maybe taking it a little bit too far, but that 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 she as professional is also uh, presentable uh, and and pleasing to the eye as opposed to comfortable because of all the incredibly difficult work that she's or that she or he, obviously of course, is doing all day. Right. I mean, well, and I think that part of it too is like the sort of 
repressed sexuality of the nurse that it's like part of the fantasy is maybe uncovering that sexuality yeah um and that sort of is aided by the the idea of the nurse as like an ornamental caregiver but what's Um, the difference what's the difference between how we see a doctor and how we see a nurse oh i mean the doctor is in charge and powerful and the nurse is someone who carries out orders and is in control but submissive mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um who is like capable but not powerful right which brings us to the nurse as mommy right right because no, exactly. because the if the if the patient is vulnerable and the patient is sort of in the role of the child um then the nurse is dominant over the patient but submissive to the doctor who is in the paternalistic role right this is of course all stereotype well but also sort of submissive to the patient right like which there's that the, weird i mean play, the mo- mommy is, is of... kind of submissive to the kid right somewhat to the demands of the child right no exactly which is sort of how i think about like professional kink work too where it's like sure you're putting on or professional domination where you're like putting on this show for the client who is you know ostensibly in the submissive role but has dictated all of what happens during the scene during the session is really in charge in many ways right so nurses are like dominatrixes because they are both stand-ins for mothers who wow this is so deep no i mean this is what this is what we've been getting at. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about your experiences, Tina Horn, with naughty nurses. I mean... Yeah. I've done a... I've done a, a nurse scene or two in my time. I mean, when I think about a nurse scene, I think about doing a scene, of course, with a consenting adult who is interested who okay first of all i think a lot of the time a nurse fetish is imprinted very young and i think that either it comes from thinking of the nurse in this way that we are describing where the nurse is the person who is in charge when we are vulnerable um so when people start eroticizing power it's a touchstone or an archetype for them or they are thinking of a, an actual scenario that they have lived where th- that that feeling of powerlessness they associate with an early feeling that they've had of feeling vulnerable with the nurse um i think that there's also a sense of intimacy with a nurse that can become sexual when people are older and thinking of things in a sexual way um but also a lot of people eroticize humiliation and a lot of the things that so let's say let's say that you have to do something with a nurse that is humiliating to you in some way that is a very 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 strong sensation so like 
a nurse administering an enema to you, for example. Go ahead. Wait, just did you ever get requests for catheterization or like was were was sounding ever something that you did in a nurse scene? Yes. Okay. I mean, I I also think that sometimes when people want something like an enema, which just to clarify for our listeners is the admis- the the introduction of water or some kind of liquid into the bowels through the rectum through the asshole through a combination of a tube and a bag and gravity and sometimes they're really crazy looking and sometimes they're attached to water pressure on a shower nozzle and anyway we'll talk about sometimes that's another episode attached to an iv bag of normal saline right um and sounding which is the introduction of uh, medical grade stainless steel hopefully um, uh, a sound which is basically looks like a like a like a pencil like a or like a sewing needle um, into the urethra to dilate the urethra which what I actually don't <laughs> I actually don't know the medical point of that I like know the like fetish of it and have like done that to many a person, but I don't actually know, like, what it's for. Uh, sometimes people have urethral strictures, which is, like, um, there's some sort of scar tissue, or people were born with different, like, a, a sort of fibrous tissue that restricts the urethra, right? The urethra is the hole that we pee out of. Right. Everybody... Have, well, well, it's most also the tube that we that we that pee travels through, right? It's not right. just the so it connects hole. the outside world to the urinary bladder, right? Um, and anything that's the urethra between the outside world and the urinary bladder. Um, so, like when you need to pee, if you press on the spot that's giving you the "I need to pee" sensation, like I'm doing right now, um, I'm that is your mine. <laughs> that is your bladder. And your urethra ends with where the pee comes out. So sometimes people have structures, generally, which is a narrowing for some reason, either from they were born or there was some sort of scarring or they had an infection mm. that caused some sort of structure. There's different things that people do now, but historically people have had their urethras stretched with your ure- uh, urethral sounds. So that widens the structure and lets people pee. It's actually a common complication of uh, vaginoplasty that a lot of the time people, not a lot of the time, but it is possible for people post-operatively to have urinary structures after having a vaginoplasty. God, I don't know that much about um, folks who've had vaginoplasties enjoying, like, having a sounding fetish. I've, I, I don't think I've ever heard of that, but I'm sure it exists. I mean, I've definitely had patients who have needed to be, to have their urethras stretched after vaginoplasty, but I've not actually thought to ask them how much they enjoy it. Mm. Well, perhaps they would enjoy it, again, on their downtime, but not when it's, when it proves necessary to pee. Truth. Yeah. Well, so, right, so some people, and this is so, so you've had more experience with that. 
I've had more experience with people being like, I want you to fuck my penis with this silver. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Pen basically um gently, nicely. Um but I feel like uh, people who have that fantasy or that fetish or who want to explore something like sounding or something like enemas, um, or, I mean, we can talk about anal play as well, um, but I, I feel like sometimes people have the desire for the activity foremost or the fantasy for the activity foremost and then they um either maybe like through masturbation uh and fantasizing or because they saw a fetish movie or 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 just using their imagination they construct the scenario or the characters around it which sometimes you know i think a lot of the time it has to do with um uh, relinquishing of responsibility for their desire, which is not necessarily a bad thing. If it's within consenting adults, you can totally have the fantasy of relinquishing the fact that you want the thing. Like, this person is doing this thing to me, I'm powerless, or I have to do it for my health, or I have to do it for some other reason beyond the fact that... Right, I can't own my desire, and so I need to dress it up in this way. I mean, I just want to clarify that I, I think that sometimes, yes, sometimes people uh, are unwilling to quote-unquote own their desire, but I also think that sometimes it's just another layer of hotness to relinquish control and to be like, no, this is not something that I want. This is something that is being done to me. Right. I, well, I just, I find that so much hotter as a con an, an intentionally constructed layer rather than a sort of denial of the desire for the activity. Absolutely. I definitely agree. So I think, you know, it's, it goes both ways, but whatever the, whatever the motivation is, I think that sometimes when people want certain kinds of activities they dress it up with the nurse because, as we were talking about earlier, the nurse is a recognizable um, uh, archetype uh, or, or character that they, or even like going to the doctor or going to the nurse, um, you know, having an appointment is a, is a familiar scenario um, that also grounds it and makes it feel more real um, for people. And, but, you know, sometimes it's not anything quite as, as edgy as those things that we were talking about. Sometimes it's really just being touched. Sometimes it's being touched in a way that makes you feel vulnerable. You know, I've definitely had some clients who, you know, they want me to be a nurse and they, you know, and sometimes they bring in the Sometimes they have medical gear and sometimes they want you to wear the outfit, but sometimes you can wear a pencil skirt 
as you do, um, and a blouse, um, or whatever. Sometimes they want you to wear fucking lingerie and be like, I'm a nurse. It's like, what hospital is this? <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, whatever. The imagination does what it does what it wants. Are they hiring? And are they hiring because your resume is ready to go? Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that, that sometimes they... They want to be, they want to do a nurse role play because they just want to be, go, you know, goes back again to being vulnerable. You know, the nurse walks in and, you know, she's, she's, she holds the power of the knowledge, right? She knows more about your body than you do. And she has more power in the scenario. Like while you're in her office, she's in charge. And she gets to decide how and when she touches you, whether that's something extreme like what we were describing or something really invasive like what we were describing or whether it's just feeling your genitals, touching your body, touching your nipples, you know. I, I mean, I think that sometimes, uh, I think that men, cis men, often are not socialized to ever feel physically vulnerable except when they are in the exam room and so they that's what they go to in their minds when they want to have that feeling it's the only thing that can help them make sense of it um so yeah even just turning to the side and coughing but then also getting fucked in the ass i think there's a lot of well, aside from the getting fucked in the ass part, I feel like you're explaining so much about my job to me, T. Oh, oh, great. Well, that's why I brought you here. To explain great. your job to you. Can Thank you explain you. my job to me now? <laughs> well, you bring people onto your couch and you ask them questions while you record them. This is great. I, this is a great job. I'm a genius. Um... Yeah, I mean, I think that, I don't know, part of the reason, I think it's funny that, like, we're talking about naughty nurse stuff because I feel like all of my medical practice borrows, has, well, borrows a lot from just sort of, like, the idea of radical consent. And, like, I don't touch my patients without asking them and, like, telling them what's going to happen and explaining to them what I'm going to do during a pelvic exam and why I need to do each step, right? That's fucking awesome. Well, thank you. But... That's part of why I sometimes have my head... I have trouble wrapping my head around the sort of naughty nurse archetype and eroticization because I'm like, but that's not how healthcare should happen. But it is how it happens often. Yeah. I mean, can you remember having an experience as a patient where your practitioner touched you in a way that you were just like not ready to be touched or said something to you or asked you a question or treated you in a way that you felt that that just you know made your skin crawl but you didn't really the, but there was not like over the line but was you know these micro abuses of power I mean I was always I always just called them out like even when I was little I was like what are you doing why are you touching me there? What's going on? Well, that's amazing. Um, you know, we were just talking about how I'm Jewish. 
Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I can, like, recognize that and recognize that happening. Um, but I also, I don't know, it's something that I have much more of an intellectual than personal understanding of, so I'm like, what is, that's part of why I want to talk about this. I'm like, let's talk about what this naughty nurse thing is, because I don't, I mean, I like it as a pun on Halloween or sure. at other times when I dress up as a naughty nurse and I'm like, oh no, so I'm now, actually a naughty nurse. So, like, I have a friend who uh, I used to work in a dungeon with who um, uh, just became a nurse, uh, a, a real-life nurse um, in real life, and, um, and she bought herself a full latex nurse uniform when she graduated. So she, like, bought herself the ultimate fantasy nurse outfit when she became a nurse in real life, IRL, mm-hmm. as I like to say. Um, so, which I thought was adorable, um, but it kind of goes back to the ice cream thing, right? It's like, do you, you know, I think that, like, for her, there was a correlation where she was like, yes, I want to have the most badass fetish nurse outfit ever as I also hold all this knowledge and you know, am successful and am a badass um I don't know where I was going with that but it's really cute to imagine her oh, it's totally like, cute. in that outfit. Well but then does she play in her latex nurse outfit? I mean I, th- I can only assume so. I can only assume so. Well I mean that also go- kind of goes back to what we were talking about before where like now nurses wear scrubs, right? Or, like, you know, you wear... I mean, your pencil skirts are really sexy, but... But appropriately... Right, thank you. But appropriately sexy <laughs> for, for work. Thank you. Um, I mean, I... I... Part of it, for me, is just, like, needing to compartmentalize work from fun, um, because the work that I do is so entrenched in the community where I spend my time. Right. Um, it's really important for me to have, like, firm boundaries between, like, what is fun and what is work and what am I doing in any given situation. Um, I can totally see that being, like, getting a latex nurse outfit being an act of empowerment. And, like, let's be real, I have a vinyl nurse outfit. I didn't go for the full latex. Is it white? It's white, black, and red. Ah, uh, yes. Adorable. I bet it is. I bet it's really adorable. Um, but at this point, okay, here's what I'm saying. Like at this point, that outfit doesn't really actually have that much to do with your job because it's kind of a fetishization of an outfit that isn't really worn anymore, right? Right. It's kind of like the schoolgirl outfit, right? I mean, there are there are still plaid, like, actual school, Catholic schoolgirls in plaid skirts, but the, you know, super short, attached with Velcro um, plaid skirt and the, you know, low neckline white little top and the, like, bobby socks and everything like that, like, that that has very little to do with what it, it means to actually go to Catholic school, right? So you're, like, vinyl, nurse, latex. When you put it on, you're not thinking about your job. 
It's just actually no, kind well, of a funny joke for anybody that knows you, right. and I'm sure, and you look banging in it. End of story. Right. Well, and then I never wear it out because I don't want people to be like, "Oh, let's do medical play." Right. But I also want, um, like, I, it's a way to own the sort of eroticization of the work that I do. Right? I'm like, I can take this and it can be mine as well as sort of having to deal with it when I'm, like, doing a prostate exam and some dude is making some sort of comment about how hot that makes him. Right? Does that, has that happened to you? Oh, yeah. Mm. That's obnoxious. It is. Um, but, I mean, whatever. I'm... They, uh, people are inappropriate. I I feel like I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, there's this way that people who do medical care sort of use the power that we were talking about before to, like, know more about their patients' bodies than their patients do, um, to deal with what they feel awkward about in interacting with their patients' bodies. Right. So all of those little microaggressions, I'm not saying this is true 100% of the time, I'm just saying that I can sort of see that as a way for people to deal with their own anxieties about other people's bodies. Right. Well, it also is occurring to me when I'm thinking about sort of the exam room that probably for a lot of people being, you know, either... Okay. (laughs) When the medical practitioner is of, I'm getting so caught up in trying to talk about gender. Um, uh, I want what I want to say is that sometimes, like for a cis straight person, that they might only be intimate. It like you know. I don't mean that as a euphemism, like, in an intimate scenario with a cis woman or someone that they are reading as a cis woman when they're at the doctor or when they're visiting a nurse, right? So that's part of it. It's like a institutionalized intimacy. So the institution is where the power comes in and then it's just a hop, skip, and a jump to a fetish from <laughs> right. institutionalized power, power. Someone's gonna get off on it. Right. So... I wish that we had somebody here who was like, I really like being in a scene with a naughty nurse. You know, okay, I actually am so glad that you said that because... I hadn't thought about it until just this moment, but when I started getting turned out as kinky in my in my mid twenties in my salad days, um, I uh, the more that I started having experiences being submissive in you know in great situations where I felt like I could explore and. Uh, situations of, of, uh, of masochism as well, of, of exploring my own masochism as well. Um, the thing that kept coming into my mind was being very young, probably like preschool, and playing doctor. 
with like Fisher Price, like a uh, hammer. What is the hammer that the reflex testing hammer? What is it called? A uh, reflex hammer. A reflex hammer. <laughs> Little plastic reflex hammer, plastic um, stethoscope. And I remember being so fixated on wanting to be the patient, but feeling like it was important for me to be the doctor first. And then, so then I could completely give myself over to being the patient. And I remember after after being the doctor, you know, I'm sure like hamming it up and being like, oh, I'm sure you have something wrong with you, blah, blah, blah. Then being like, all right, now it's my turn. And like sprawling out on the ground and having, you know, of course, nothing inappropriate, like fully clothed doctor uh, play um, and having my friend like wearing the stethoscope and like putting the little, the cold stethoscope like over my shirt, like on my heart and like tapping me with the little Fisher Price things. Right. And like, I remember feeling so buzzy. Like, I can remember the body sensation of being, like, uh, you know, I, I I don't know if I would say, like, turned on, because I was very young, but um, uh, excited and also transported in a way. Like, it was very magical, and it was a very, it was a very physical feeling. Um, and when I, yeah, and then as, as a grown-up... I, I I found myself thinking about that sensation a lot um, as as a masochist, and you know, and so I, I think that you know the explanation for that really just has to do with playing at being the receiver of sensation and the and the and the vulnerable person where the other person is is making the decisions and calling the shots and holding the knowledge and and uh, you know and and driving. You know, so, so, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm not uh, into medical play, uh, per se. I'm definitely, uh, it's not really my cup of tea, all the, like, like, when, any, anytime I go into the dungeon and there's always the medical room and it's always the most, like, sterile and sort of, like, horrifying room to me, um, that's not that's not my jam necessarily although i definitely see the appeal and if i'm being paid for it i'm like yeah let's do this um but but yeah so i'm not necessarily somebody who's like i want to be the patient that you're examining although i don't know it does sound kind of fun Young Tina Horn certainly sounded excited by it a minute ago. <laughs> um, I, well, I guess sometimes it's a matter of, I mean, and this goes back to, uh, this is something that I do like to always try to talk about every episode is if somebody thinks that they might be interested in either being a sexy nurse or, um, you know, having a nurse fetish and, like, wanting to find a nurse, like, what is a good place to start? And, um, you know, there are definitely kinky, there are entire catalogs and websites devoted to the 
all kinds of super fun gear. Right. Um, and, and for some people, the fetish and the gear is what it's all about. But I also really think that you can just have a very simple exam where one person, you know, is the pr- practitioner of something, mm. you know, and, and just go from there. Um, that, right, well, and there's enough sort of knowledge in the ethos about what happens in a doctor's visit, right, that you can fake it pretty easily. I think that part of me is also just still interested in the, like, way that it's a role play. I don't know. I come at role play from a way of, like, power is fun, so how are the ways that we can dress up power? Yeah. And I think it's interesting to come at it from the other side of, like, what are sort of the known power dynamics that can help us... What are the known, like, roles that we can use to help access power dynamics? Yeah. Um, so I think it's also just, like an interesting inversion like are we building the trope to engage with power or in an intentional like power is the goal or is that I don't know I'm trying to not sort of be judgy in this moment um or is it like these are some of the familiar ways like what you were saying before that we can access power and so like that is what we're doing it doesn't even necessarily have to be that much, I think, about um, domination and submission kind of power exchange. It can also be about caretaking, right? Like, uh, some sometimes a nurse is very tender. Sometimes. Yeah. It really just depends on your bedside manner, I feel I like guess. I've had so many dates where people just expect that of me. Right. So that's its own set of issues where I'm concerned. But, yes. But actually, the I think that the image of the fetishized nurse is usually not tender caregiver, matronly even. It's much more severe. Oh, it's yeah. much more a nurse abusing her power. Right. Right? Which is, like, what's fun about the naughty nurse is that like we've sort of invested all of this power in the archetype and having that abuse happen i can think of a a couple of scenes that i've done where somebody's request was to be ridiculed as a patient by me the nurse for for having a small penis or for being overweight or for not being attractive or for being too hairy or for being not hairy enough just really ridiculing and punishing them for being who they are without their clothes on right well and it's sort of a way to like what am i trying to say it's a way to talk about bodies Mm. and like make a more Put, sort of invest more power into the ways that we are humiliating people's bodies. Yeah. Um, because rather than being like, oh, this is a thing that is about society, we can make it about medicine, which people often think of as divorced from society. Which is like ridiculous. More, power, more powerful, right? It's ridiculous. Um, but, no, getting into it, um, how do you do that 
I mean, pay attention next time you're at the doctor. <laughs> well, okay, but let, let's let's put it this way. Let's say that you are, um, that you want to ask your partner or your date to do some naughty nurse play with you. What would be a good way to start a naughty nurse scene? Um, I mean, it depends on what kind of scene it is. Um, right, because, well, and like, what, what is the investment in that particular play? You know, most of, if you want to do like a super realistic naughty nurse scene, then you have the person in the patient role either like sitting on a chair or laying down in a bed, um, and the nurse would then come into the room and perform some sort of bodily activity on the person in the patient role or start asking them questions, um, right? Yeah, totally. So... I mean, it could be, it could be sort of conventional medicine, but also it could be, like, I've definitely had people want me to be like, oh, well, here at this clinic we have very new alternative methods that you may not have heard of, but right. we promise you they'll be much more effective than anything that you've tried before. Like, one thing you could do is you just start asking questions to, like, get into role. Yeah. Um, if you're not... Yeah, if like I feel like that's a good lead in if you want to like do some sort of specific activity. Um, they can be like, well, we do this specific procedure here, but if it's also just focusing on power exchange, you know, you can start with an interview where you're like, well, like, how are you feeling today? What's mm. going on? And then you can get into more humiliating questions like, how many bowel movements have you had in the past twenty four hours, and how many times have you voided your urine? I mean, I guess that's that's really what we're getting at here with the naughty nurse thing. It's having somebody, it's sharing very intimate physical activities, but also information with someone who is a virtual stranger to you and talking about things and doing things with them that you don't even do with the people that you're intimate with in your private life. Right. Right. Which for a lot of people is comforting, right? And it's like, oh, this doesn't happen in my private life, and that makes it okay. Yeah. Um, that it's happening in a medical office. Which is sort of another part of the reason that I'm not interested in medical play is because I feel like part of what I do with my patients is I'm like, this is something that only happens in the office. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so I feel like that's sort of my part of the relationships that I have with my patients. What are some other sexual questions to ask that are that are actual appropriate it, in the context of a medical exam that are appropriate but in the context of a sexy scene would be really Do you want to do a role play right now, Tina Horn? Sure. Okay, great. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to lie on my back. 
You don't need to. I mean, most of the time when I'm talking to people about I want to lie on my back. <laughs> lay down. Okay. Okay. See what I mean about the the bottom being the one in charge, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, leading from behind. What was that? Um, oh, hello, Nurse Zill. Hi, my name's Zill. I'm a nurse practitioner. I'll be seeing you today. How's it going? You're seeing me already. Clearly, <laughs> I guess I'm a bratty patient. You are a bratty patient. What brought you in today? And don't say the subway. Oh, uh, damn it. I was going to say the subway. Well, actually, it's almost I took... like this is my job. Actually, I took the bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I have been having these urges and I don't really know why or what to do about them. So, what can you tell me more about the urges that you've been having? Well, Sometimes when I'm by myself, I have the urge to, um, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Do you have the urge to like void your urine? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, it's kind of related to that, but no, I mean, I have the urge to, you know, touch myself. Well, that is, you know, masturbation is what we usually call that. Oh. And that is something that is totally normal. It's... A lot of people like to masturbate. You mean I don't have to feel shame? No, you don't have to feel shame. Wow. Now, are you using anything? Like, do you have any problems when you're masturbating? No, I don't have any problems at all. I, I just I just thought it might be a problem. It's It's very distracting. I mean, I have to do it five, six... Seven times a day. <laughs> now, I mean, does it interfere with your ability to do other things in your day? I'm a pretty good multitasker. That's good. Do you ever get in trouble at work because you're masturbating too much? I'm very good at hiding it. Sometimes I just rub my legs together under my desk and I can get off like that. I can't believe I'm telling you this. That's great. It sounds like you're very gifted. Is there anything else that you wanted to... I mean, I, I just... I want you to know that this is completely normal. And, like, if you want to explore more sophisticated things, there's lots of places that you can go... Wait, like what? ...to find, like, different toys or things that you can use. Wait, do you have any of those toys lying around here? I don't keep them in my office, no. <laughs> Wait, are I you love being how we're... naughty nurse? Are you being naughty nurse or actual nurse I love how we're sort of, there's this <laughs> undercurrent of like, are we doing a medical play scene or am I at work? <laughs> because you were like, what are the appropriate questions to ask? And I'm like, clearly you're an inappropriate patient and I am shutting you down and I'm trying to figure out. Right, if I'm sorry, that's probably need. really triggering for you. I mean... <laughs> There are a lot of other directions that we could have taken that in if I was wanting to do a recorded medical play scene, but, you know, you're not paying me enough for that today. That's true. I'm not paying you anything. <laughs> um, I mean, I pay my podcast guests lots of money. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, I asked you to bring the tempeh. <laughs> um, okay, but... 
clearly I'm a brat. Um, but I guess the thing that our little scene illustrated is that we shouldn't be ashamed of masturbation. The end. Right. Right. Well, but if you were like, I haven't pooped in seven days, I would be like, well, when was the last time? How much have you strained? Do you, when was the last time you had sex? What kind of sex was it? Um, all those sorts of things. Because these can all be different factors. But, okay, so the basic guide to, um, medical interviewing yeah, is a series of questions that some people call old cart. I don't remember what old cart stands for. I learned it as first as O-P-Q-R-S-T. Oh, this is good stuff. So the O is onset. So like, did it come on suddenly? <sighs> did it come on gradually? Um, so like, did all of a sudden you wake up one day and you were masturbating seven times a day? Or was it like, you woke up in the middle of the night and were having an orgasm and then realized you could do it yourself and gradually started to increase up to this, frankly, somewhat amazing masturbation regimen. <laughs> um, so I like to think set. of myself as, frankly, somewhat amazing. <laughs> um, the P is for think, provoke or palliate, which are things that make it better or worse. Mm. So there's a lot of different directions you could go in with your example where it's like, is the problem that you want to masturbate too much? Or is it that you don't want to masturbate enough sometimes? Or is it that sometimes you're masturbating and it's you like get off harder and sometimes it's not? So like, what makes all of these things better and what makes them worse? So that's P, provoke, palliate. Provoke, Q, palliate? Yes. Uh, Q is quality. Mm. So, is it an intense desire? Is it a mild desire? You know, the classic example for quality is, like, pain. So, is it, like, a sharp pain, a dull pain, Mm. a burning pain? Um, PQR is radiating. So, you know, again, with pain, do you have pain in your knee and it's just in your knee? Or does it go up and down your leg from your knee? Mm. So, like, is that feeling located just in your junk? Or does it go other places? Um, you are as is severity. So on a scale of zero to ten, how badly do you feel like you need to masturbate right now? Do you want me to answer that? No. <laughs> um. Ten. It's ten. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I'm I'm very flattered. I'm just gonna assume that I that's about me. I should set up because I'm still in my bratty patient mode. Apparently. Yeah. All right. Let's. Uh, okay. I'm out of it now. <laughs> Um, and so, so that, and then T is timing. So, mm-hmm. like, are there certain parts of the day where this desire is worse? Are there certain times of day where the pain is better or worse? So that's sort of, like, the quick guide to, like, asking somebody about a problem that they're having that they teach to medical students and nursing students. That's gold. That's really awesome. I have to say, as a, I never learned that as a naughty nurse, so... It's an important skill for nurses both naughty and nice. (laughs) Well, that's a good note to end on, unless you feel like there's some element of all of this that we haven't broached. I don't know, but I think it would be fun to put a class together on all of those things. Yeah. Well, so, uh, do you, is there anything that you want to plug besides the amazing Persist? Any classes that you're teaching or anywhere online that we can find you? 
Uh, I have a book coming out. Oh my god, amazing. Yeah, it's probably gonna be, uh, coming out in September, is what the publisher has been telling us. It's called Trans Bodies, Trans Selves. Oh, right, of course. It's exactly what it sounds like. You can find it online at transbodies.com. Um, and it is, you know, sort of a guide to all sorts of things about trans identities. It's intended for trans people, for their parents, uh, for people who are providing services to trans people, to friends of trans people, and it's written by trans and gender non-conforming authors discussing all sort of different aspects from aging to medical transition. Um, I wrote a couple chapters. I co-authored the chapter on employment, and I co-authored a chapter on sort of the day-to-day -day experience of being trans. I also helped edit uh, several chapters, and I'm on the board of directors for the book. That is fucking awesome. I have to say, I have a couple of friends who are in the medical field who frequently ask me if there is such a resource, and there are a few things that I point them towards, but um, I'm, I'm so happy that you and all of the other contributors are um, making that project. Well, thank you. Well, thanks for, thanks for being on the show. Is there anything that you want to say to the listeners before we sign off? Bye, guys. Bye. episodes on whyarepeopleintothat.com subscribe on iTunes and find out what we're up to by following at into that podcast and at Tina Horns ass as usual why are people into that is produced and hosted by Tina Horn our theme song is by Pine from Oakland California and our website was designed by Justin Levesque of Shop Geometry. We are exclusively underwritten by Smitten Kitten, the progressive sex toy store for everyone who you can visit at smittenkittenonline.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 